Welcome to Talking Business Now. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. We're talking business now with Scott Ringline, the founder and principal at the Energy Alliance Group of North America. The company develops and deploys innovative solutions to global energy, waste, and environmental challenges. A serial entrepreneur, Scott is also the founder of four other companies. In this episode of Talking Business Now, Scott talks with us about the critical moment he realized he needed to start his own company and what he's learned along the way. He'll also share how the Energy Alliance Group is redefining the way capital, incentives, and technology are used to create solutions to the impossible. You have done so many things. You were raised as a farmer. You were educated as an engineer, and then you spent many, many years in the auto industry, and that's where you thought you would end your career. You had already done so many things, but you had this, okay, pardon the pun, a, a light bulb moment where you knew you needed to start your first company, and then there was no looking back. So what brought you to that point, to that epiphany, if you will? Yeah, we'll, we'll go right to it. I lost my J-O-B. I had been in the automotive industry you know, well over 20 years. You know, I, I worked my way up the ladder, spent some time at big companies, little companies, and then ended at a, a fairly good-sized supplier in the auto industry. And my customer was uh, Nissan. And since they're based in Japan, I spent uh, most of my career outside the U.S. and very successful uh, as an engineer, but also successful with the uh, business unit that I managed. However, as we all know, in the mid-2000s, the automotive industry was in dire trouble, and I and actually my entire team became part of the downturn and came into work on a on a Monday, and that was my last day in any in automotive industry. To complicate matters, uh, when you're in a higher role in an organization like that, you know they provided me with a car and a phone and a computer. So on Monday morning, I came home as a single father with two kids, house mortgage, and no car, no phone, no computer, basically nothing. Mm. And that was really the epiphany of not so much needing to start a business right at that time, but it was more about, all right, this is not going to go any place. I can't necessarily just pick up and uh, move away. And so I focused on, I need to be self-sufficient. What can I do to create an income? And it really started with the simple stuff, okay, <laughs> call my friends and family and then my daughter, who at the time was eight years old, she came home after school one day and she said, Dad, my friend said that her dad helps people get jobs and she's going to introduce you to him. What a little matchmaker at that age. Yeah, and that's really where things started towards getting into the entrepreneurial world. He was a former executive at AT&T and had retired. I, I live in Michigan and in the city of Ann Arbor. During that time, they uh, had an incubator that was started. It was called Spark. His company was the first company to come out of the incubator. And we met, and that was really my path down 
this career that I've had since owning and operating my own companies. You're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. And I know that the company that you have now, the Energy Alliance Group of North America, is your fifth company. And here you are. You have been, in the last eight years since you launched, you've been highly successful. You're a multi-million dollar annual revenue growth at this point. Tell us a little bit about what EAG does. Coming out of the automotive industry, I spent my career in capital, meaning, you know, I have to secure capital to deploy new products and, you know, purchase equipment and stuff like that. When we went into the energy sector, the first thing that we noticed is that everybody focuses on the technical solution. So they spend a lot of time coming up with the way that they're going to save money or reduce their energy costs. They get that done, and then they go in and ask for the capital. And statistically, 98% of the time, it would not move forward because it didn't meet either their return on investment target or they just couldn't secure enough capital or they couldn't get the terms. You know, most terms are 5, 10, 15 years. Because I'm such a stickler for networking, it led me to reaching out and meeting those that are in the financial side of the equation and learning that there are some great methods of funding these types of improvements and meeting all of these barriers that most would face and actually be able to fund projects, meet these you know, return on investment targets that they have, and also be able to not only deploy a solution that maybe a company was looking at, but expand it to include other things. And so, you know, we're, us- we're using the same exact tools as everybody else. You have funding, you have incentives, you got tax credits, and you got the technical solution. What we did is we just developed a process that we focus on the money first, then we go into the technical solution. That way there's, one, you have a budget before you start, and you can match it with the types of things that the company needs to do. Yeah, so you found a way to marry yeah. all three yep. of And those. that's really been the change. You know, you had talked about my passion, and that's what gets me excited is that it is very infrequent that we cannot help a company achieve what they want to achieve. Their business is to operate their business, not know about all these funding tools or tax credits or incentives or even all the different technical solutions that are out there to achieve what they're typically trying to achieve is, hey, I want to reduce my operating costs. I want to reduce the amount of energy or water that we're using, or I want to be more environmentally conscious, and I want to deploy some renewables. And the tools on the surface aren't there. What we've done is we've met the people that have introduced new tools that can actually make it happen. And, and, and it's really new. A lot of the programs that we work with have only recently been deployed since the late 2000s. Let's 
let's talk about that a little bit. How has sustainable energy technology evolved over the past decade? I think people think of sustainable energy technology and they think of solar panels or they think of the mm. light bulbs that take five minutes to turn on. Those kinds of things are top of mind. But talk to us about some of the technologies that you're referring to and how they have evolved. First thing is the more they're produced, the they get, and then the more they're studied, they come up with better ways to do it. So, you know, you, you refer to lighting. You know, LED lighting has been for a very long time, but it took a really long time to create an LED light that with very little power could provide a lot of light. So that's only recently happened here in the last 10, 15 years. As the technologies have advanced, whether it's solar, you know, uh, I'll give you an example. Today in Saudi Arabia, rather than using their own oil that they pump out of the ground to power all the equipment in the oil fields, they use solar. Why? Because it's cheaper than the, the oil that they're <laughs> producing. And so that's what, you know, we call it kind of a tipping point is that we finally reached a point where the technology is there. It is cheaper to run in most cases. What they're caught up to it is the mechanism to fund it. And that's really the thing that is finally changing is that there's more capital being deployed through these types of programs that, geez, now I can secure funding for 25 years to install solar or large capital improvements where before you may get 10 years, possibly 15, but 25 years was just completely unheard of. And when you're up against those types of capital constraints and we live in a world where most corporations want some type of return on investment within the two to five year period, those capital solutions don't match the technical solution unless you're looking at like lighting, you know, we call lighting right. low hanging fruit. Why? You know, for example, we're doing a project in Michigan. This place was built in the sixties. It's a million square feet. They have never updated their lighting or employed controls. And we're going to do a little more than a $2 million upgrade and we will reduce the amount of energy they use for lighting by 70%. So when you have those types of savings on the financial side, that's easy. It's a no-brainer. You don't need 25-year terms. You know, you can do it with a, a five- or a 10-year term. But if you look at what's going on in our industry and within the U.S., we have a building infrastructure that is old, very old, and a majority of the materials that are in it, so whether it's windows, roofs, doors, or HVAC lighting, they're old. They're 30 or 40 years old. So we have a very aging infrastructure. We have an outdated financing mechanism, but we got lots of great technical solutions. And when most building owners go and look, and find out that, oh my gosh, it's going to cost me this much to replace all my windows or a new roof. They just look at it as, okay, well, this is just the cost of doing business. We're going to have to raise our rent or they're going to have to wear an extra layer because it's cold. And that's really where it stops. And with these new funding mechanisms now, 
we're able to go in and say, hey, let's do lighting and heating and roofs, solar, windows, and combine them all together. And that's, and that's where we've been successful in getting these owners to realize that, hey, you do have other choices and we're here to help. It's still your project and we're gonna help you define what, what your needs and wants are. But then we're also gonna bring to you a lot of different choices and solutions to the financial side, along with the technical and the incentives and taxes. You mentioned the power of networking, that that was essential to you as you created EAG, the Energy Alliance Group. So you have had many lessons learned along the way, now this being your fifth company. You, you've taken away lots of things that you can share with our listeners. Uh, the first being the power of networking. Talk to us about how you leveraged well, networking to EAG help EAG would EAG. not exist without networking. In a corporate world, you don't network. You hang out with the people that you work with and you hang out with your, with your customer. And even your customer is already handed to you. You know, you're not really selling anything. It's like, okay, Nissan's your customer, provide them a product. As soon as I left that, I knew that I had to start meeting people to understand, okay, I'm, I'm walking into a completely new industry. And what I see when I go into networking events is these are all resources. What I need to understand is what am I looking for? And I need to go find that. I'll give you an example power of networking. I had already started the company. I was going to meet somebody at a local university. I signed the book, put my name in the company. The next gentleman that walked in went to sign it. He looked at my name and the company and he's like, I have somebody I want you to meet. And within a week, I'm sitting down with, you know, now he's a congressman, but at the time he was in the private sector, Andy Levin. And Andy was responsible for deploying one of these new funding programs uh, within the state of Michigan. It's called the Lean and Green Michigan Program, but it's based on a new fund tool out there called Property Assessed Clean Energy. If that would not have happened, and if I did not accept the invitation, I would have never known about PACE. And PACE is our number one go-to funding mechanism for the projects that we do, but yet nobody knows about it. Nobody. I mean, and it's a, it's a state law. It's implemented in 35 states in the U.S. Exactly. And I think you make a good point when you say that you came out of corporate and you hung out with the other folks there in the office and your customers who many times you didn't even meet until they were assigned to you. But as an entrepreneur, you have to go out and you have to make collisions yeah. happen. That's a, a saying that a lot of startups use. You know, you have to you have to create collisions. You can't just wait for things to come to you. So often entrepreneurs work in isolation and, and they just get into their own little echo chamber in their heads and you know, you have to have people that you can bounce ideas off of or to be inspired by, if nothing else. You also talked about you went home and you created a business plan. But you also say, you know, and everything changes so fast, and especially in your industry. You also say you can't be afraid. Oh, my to gosh. That, you know, that is so huge. So being at Bark and meeting entrepreneurs every single day, that was one of the big things that I would see. It'd be like, they're moving down this road and they're not going anywhere. 
maybe the market's not ready for what they're offering, or maybe, you know, their advertising is improper or, or whatever. And I've met so many of them that are, excuse my language, hell-bent on sticking down this path. Oh, no, this is what we're going to do. And it's like, mm-hmm. but if that's not working... Keep throwing good money after bad. Yeah, we, we've, we're this invested in it. What's been fun is, you know, we get together every year. And when we did our five-year of get-together, I went back and looked at everything that we had did for the, the last five years and created this PowerPoint that just kind of ran through as we were together and having dinner and stuff like that. But that was, the, that was probably the biggest thing is looking at, okay, in 2012, this is what we thought we were going to do, and this is what we thought we were going to be. And here we are in 2017, 2018 at the time. It was completely different. Our approach to projects were different. The questions that we asked customers were different. How we marketed was different because we don't market. What we do is we reach out and partner with people so that when they come across an opportunity, we help them be successful at the same time as making us successful. And while we're still doing the same thing, deploying solutions for efficiency and conservation and renewable, the way we do it is completely completely different. And we know that if we stuck what we thought we were going to do back in 12 and 13, we would have been like 99% of most entrepreneurs. Oh, well, that didn't work out. I better go back and, and get a job. One of the things that you talk about is documenting and using a process that that is so important so that you can replicate what you do, especially as you grow. You you can't just be flying by the seat of your pants. You, you bring other people into the organization. They expect a process. Marry for me how that fast growth and the changing your business plan so that the industry and advancements don't pass you by, how does that work with documenting and using a process that as soon as you document it and start getting everybody trained on it, it could be out of date because just like your business plan, you know, the industry's moving differently. So, so talk to us about how to manage that. I and most of my team had the advantage of coming out of a very structured industry. Automotive is highly structured processes, checklists, milestones, and all that. So, you know, that gave us an advantage of that, you know, I'm leading the company and I am going to make sure that we have those types of things in place. To answer your question, the one thing that we do, because we have structure, when we finish a project, whether it goes forward or not, we kind of do a lessons learned and talk about, okay, what worked well, what didn't work worked well, and what can we change to make it different moving forward? And by doing that, that's how you implement the change. And don't be afraid to implement the change or... You know, I can remember we used to do a lot of work for free. That's the one thing that entrepreneurs are really good at, doing stuff for free. And, oh, oh my yes. gosh, yeah. Unpaid consulting. And, and so we used to go out doing things and on do spec. You know, yep. audits for companies for free. So we would spend literally hours and hours and hours doing all this work for somebody to just say, hey, you know, I'm not interested. Finally, I'm like, you know what, let's start charging. You know, let's change our process where 
we show them what we can do first in a very short period of time. And then if they want to move forward, hey, you got to put some skin in the game. We'll give it back to you if it doesn't work out, but you got to put some skin in yes. the game. And if we if we do what we say we're going to do, you're going to make a commitment to go forward. And at the time, everybody said there's no way people are going to pay a retainer fee to have you do that when everybody else is doing it for free. And guess what? Everybody does because they see the value and the success and they know mm -hmm. that there's not a lot of risk to it because, you know, the way the terms and conditions are, look, if we don't do our job, then we're going to give you the money back. But if we do our job, you're making a commitment to move forward and it's worked. I mean, yeah, there's been some times that things didn't work out. Well, guess what? We have changed our process to accommodate that. You know, there's been projects where we didn't ask the right question, got all the way to funding only to find out, oh, they had some skeletons in their closet. The whole thing collapsed. All right. Guess what? We're going to add these questions mm -hmm. to our questionnaire that we send out to them before we get started. Shame on them for not answering properly guess what? Now we keep that money because part of the terms and conditions are, hey, you're going to be truthful in the right. information you provide because it affects our ability to secure funding for your projects. There is something to perceived value. Another thing that you talked about was collaborating to develop relationships that they can help you out and importantly, you help them out as well. But one of the things that I've read about you that raised a bit of an eyebrow, and I'm sure it will for some of our listeners, is you go so far as to say to collaborate with your competitors. And some people would go, why in the world would you collaborate with your competitors? So talk to us about why you pursue there's that There's more business in this world than one company can can do. You know, there's, there's not just one automotive company. There's lots of automotive companies, and they collaborate all the time on you know, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna use a uh, Mazda engine in a Ford vehicle, or you know, Mazda's gonna design it and Ford's gonna build it. So it, it, it's no different here. You know, our our competitors, mm -hmm. in essence, is anybody that's in the industry, whether they sell a light bulb or they fund projects or, or whatever. And so we know, and they know, they 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 can't do everything. So why not collaborate? There's more business out there than all of us can do, and there are going to be times where we need somebody else to help out. So why not build that relationship now so you're not afraid to you know, get on the phone and call Scott and say, hey, we got a project that's in Michigan. We just can't handle it all. Would you guys be either a partner or you know, we'll turn it over to you guys and you pay us you know, a finder's fee or something like that? And that, honestly, that has really been our success because 99% of the projects that we have done over the years come through relationships, not a cold call, not a fill out this form on our website and, you know, we'll call you back. It's been, hey, EAG, we met with this group. They have a need. I thought we could work together. And that's really how it's worked. And, and you know, not only from a collaboration standpoint, but also that's through networking, that's through having mentors. You know, the more you meet, the more they understand what you offer, 
And as I always say, that's that's the beauty of of this world that we live in. You come together networking. You're not a bunch of competitors. What you're doing is you're getting together to figure out how can we help each other. So we're trying to understand what value do you bring to me as an organization. One of your favorite lessons learned that you like to share may seem really obvious to a lot of people. It's like, well, if I'm an entrepreneur, of course I'm not going to give up. But you say, don't give up. Well, I am certainly an optimist. And I, you know, if, if I took a picture of my office right now, the wall is just covered with all these different statements and stuff like that. And one of them is optimism. The one quality more associated with success and happiness than any other. And that's the whole point of just never giving up on your dreams. One thing that I started doing uh, when we first got started is every time we'd have a major project that we would complete and whoever was on the team that was really involved with that, I would, you know, basically take some pictures, get it all mounted. And then there's one statement that I always put on it. And it's the things that you can control and in constant are your goals. See them big, picture them, breathe them and want them, but never, ever give up on them. Because that's every day when I get up and I go to my office, that's what I see. Oh my gosh, if we do this, wouldn't that be great? And if we, if we uh, meet this person, we might have this opportunity. You know, we, we started out as a Michigan company and we've had stuff going on in South Dakota, Florida, Massachusetts, Ohio. And uh, I always want to be an educator. Guess what? Now I have people asking me to go to conferences and talk to them about what we know and the tools that are out there that they should use. And if, if the first time that somebody said no, or if the first time I couldn't pay my bills at the end of the month, I decided, you know what, this ain't for me. I'm just going to go get a job. Then that's where I would be after, you know, just giving up. And, and nine times out of 10, the, the reason why most do fail is because they do give up or, or it's the fear. You know, what happens if I can't pay my bills? Well, just like everybody else that even have jobs, you figure it mm-hmm. out, you know. Even if things are going poorly, you often have more control when you have your own business and are in charge of your own destiny than the poor bloke who is working for someone else and really has no say in the matter. They can't pay their bills and they can't do much yeah, about yeah, it yeah. because and, they don't and, control and the jobs. One thing I did want to add there, that has also uh, pushed me you know, they always talk about multiple streams of income. You know, EAG has not been my income over all this time. We had a family resort that, you know, all right, well, let's start renting it. So we got into Airbnb right away. We created a company around that. That was another source of income. And, and I think that's a, another great point is, look, if you can't make it here, don't give up on it. Figure out a way to make ends meet, but keep on pushing, you know, really what your passion and your dream and and really what you want to do. You also were recently awarded for an innovative program that you have. I know that you follow the philosophy of doing good while doing well. So talk to us about that program briefly. Yeah, so the the whole thing about doing good and doing well, that, that came from 
my first mentor, you know, after I lost my job and, and, and took a chair at uh, BART. That was something that he lived by, his family lived by. And it was really the first time that I was exposed to it. So, of course, you know, I jumped in both feet. I really been, became an advocate of giving back. So our company, 10% of our profits every year, they go into a fund for charity. Every employee puts their favorite charity in a hat, and every year we pick out one or two of them and, and give money to those charities. What led to the whole kilowatts for a cause is that at first it was really, gosh, I want to try and get an opportunity with this company. How can I do it? The owner was a big philanthropist, and it was a late night drinking some wine, and kilowatts for a cause came to mind. But the whole preface is this. Charities spend 95% of their time raising money and only 5% of the time deploying it. And every year they restart the process. I'm like, all right, why can't we have a charity partner that has people that give every year? They have a big old roof. Why don't we put solar on their roof? They're going to pay the same or maybe a little less for power as they do today. But then over the next 25 years, the profits of that are then donated to the charity. And that was the whole point huh. of kilowatts for a cause. And, you know, that we have not rolled it out because we just secured the, uh, the trademark and kind of the vision. But that's really the preference. You know, you got to, you know, say you got a, a building like a Target, big old roof. You put a solar on it. There's profit built into every solar project, well, through the kilowatts for a cause, that profit then just goes to whoever their charity partner is. So now we're do doing good for the environment, and we're doing good for a charity, and then, you know, we as a company are still making money off of it. So that that's really the, the drive and, and where that's going with that program. Win-win all around. Scott, great work that you're doing, uh, great insights that you've shared today. Thanks so much for being a guest on our show. You bet, Kelly. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Scott Ringline, Energy Alliance Group. The website is energyalliancegroup.org. Go check them out. And again, thank you very yeah. much, Scott. And I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to visit the Talking Business Now website at talkingbusinessnow.com for access to all my podcasts and to sign up for the weekly Talking Business Now newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>